This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Yeah, obviously Mad lives on through how it influenced The Onion and Judge Apatow, The Daily Show, you know, Weird Al Yankovic. Yes, Howard Stern and Jon Stewart and Stephen Colbert and... And all these guys, you know, and the med voice is in some way in them. And guess what? They've influenced others. The med voice is such a part of our culture. The magazine may die, but the med voice certainly will not. That is the voice of Joe Rayola, who was the editor of Mad Magazine for 33 years. And Mad Magazine, as we might know through comedy history, folded in 2019 as a print magazine. And yes, you've tuned into another episode of Comedy History 101, where we school you in comedy. I am Harmon Leon. So I originally talked to Joe in 2019, and we used portions of his interview for a complete history of Mad Magazine. It was a two-parter. You can go back and listen to that. But... Through the magic of AI, I have remastered his interview, and we are going to run it complete in whole with the new intact artificial intelligence enhanced interview audio. So just to bring us up to speed on Mad Magazine, it was first published in 1952. The founding editor was Harvey Kurtzman and the publisher William Gaines who we will elaborate on in this episode. But before we jump into the episode, couple of things. Comedy History 101, gonna mention Uncracked, Cracked.com. From our episode on the history of Revenge of the Nerds. Most specifically, my interview with Andrew Cassese, who played Wormser, in Revenge of the Nerds. Uh, You can check out the article on Cracked. I will just say we got a shout-out, but as far as the article goes, haters will hate. Also, take some time to like, subscribe, and comment. Even leave a dumb comment on Comedy History 101, wherever you find your podcasts. And we will read your comments right here on the air. And now, without further ado... Comedy History 101. I was born in 55, the same year that Mad mm-hmm. became a magazine. So the Mad that I the Mad that I grew up on was the Al Feldstein Mad. That was the Mad of of Spy vs. Spy and Don mm-hmm. Martin and the lighter side. I mean, I probably started reading Mad when I was 10 or 11. Mm-hmm. I was on Staten Island. So I didn't when I started reading Mad, I did not even know that Mad had ever been a comic book. That was a bit before me. Right. 1950, 1952 to uh and the first issue uh right, it was October, November 1952, and the first issue of the magazine was 1955. And what was your general reaction? You know, certain songs in life when you hear them or a band, you know you feel like your whole world has suddenly changed and you just have a new way of looking at things. Was that sort of your reaction when you first picked up Mad? You know, I Mad Mad spoke to me before I even realized it was speaking to, to me. You know, mm-hmm. because I think that I think that that kids generally understand that the world that people are full of shit that 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 kids generally know teachers are full of shit they certainly know uh that that uh clergymen are full of shit like i knew religion was full of shit at an early age i mean how could you not know that 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 
Catholicism was full of shit, and and that politicians were, you know, kids. We kind of we we something in us we knew that. But I what I remember about about Mad is Mad kind of confirmed everything that I was thinking, but wouldn't say to anybody else. Mad confirmed. Oh yes, everyone is full of shit. Everyone, and you can't trust anyone. And that that was always the the driving message of Mad. It was not as people think. What me worry? That's Alfred. Uh, yeah. Mad Mad was always question authority. Yes. That that yes. was that was what. So it was okay. Don't 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 me worry. And question authority. Trust no one. So that that was um, illuminating for me. And the thing about it is, you, you at least me, I digested the Mad voice. The Mad mm-hmm. became kind of be, kind of became part of my comedy soul. Right. So so everything I did as a, a, a comedy writer was, in some sense, inspired by. Mad, which was the first comedy I ever read. And how did you go from just being a fan of Mad to being hired? Was it William Gaines who hired you? Yes. You know, how, how I got there, I mean, you know, there are lots of different ways of answering that. I mean, I'm, I, knew, I knew at an early age that I was going to be a, a comedy writer and, a, and a, a comedian. I remember when I was in fifth grade, there was a sixth grade, there was a yearbook. They put out a, a yearbook in sixth grade for some reason, and all my male classmates, you had to say what you wanted to be what you, when you grew up, and they all put race car driver or astronaut or president or some shit like that. I, I put comedian. I, I knew <laughs> very, very early on that that's what yeah. I was going to do. I was, you know, I was chewing pencils and sticking quarters up up, up my nose, and that's and that's. So I knew what my life trajectory was as at an early age. I never mm-hmm. had the goal. I never had the goal of working for Mad. And in fact, um, I actually started my professional career working with National Lampoon guys before yeah. I, before I started before I I started writing for Mad in 1984, but. Uh, when the, when when all the legendary National Lampoon guys left National Lampoon, they started a company called Taylor Shane, Jerry Taylor, and Jerry Taylor was a former publisher of National Lampoon, and Tony Hendra was working over there, and Sean Kelly, and David Casel, who is a former uh, art director at Lampoon. That was the first professional work I ever got working there. Which was kind of in- interesting because I was not a giant Lamp- Lampoon fan, not giant. Right. Uh, but I was working with those those guys, and in those days, it's such a different scene. You know, you, it makes me sound so old. It's such a different universe. Uh, right. You know, when you wanted the job, you'd look at the want ads in the paper, and you'd look at the classified ads, and and um, mad put an ad in the Village Voice and the New York Times that they were looking really? for that they were looking for writers. And um I saw one of them and my and my pal Charlie Cadu saw the other and we we were we were working together a lot in those days and we said, Hey, Mad, we should send something to Mad. So we sent stuff to Mad and we and we sold immediately but then to get to to get to the heart of what your question is, and forgive me if I'm babbling on too much, th- we were in the right place at the right time. In 1985, Al Feldstein, mm-hmm. who had been editor of Mad for 28 years and had taken over for Harvey Kurtzman, was retiring. Mm-hmm. So it was the first editorial change in the Mad staff in 28 years. And we were young, we were in our 20s, and we were... You know, we were submitting, you know, we had a youthful view. Uh, MAD was a tough place to break into in in those days. I think even harder than it was years later. You know, they called us into the office, and and, and Nick Meglin and John Ficarra, who were the editors for, you know, John and Nick were there. Well, John was the only editor I ever 
re- reported to in my 33 years as an editor at at, at Med. They wanted to hire us, and uh, we met Gaines. And I I mm-hmm. will never for, I never forget the first meeting with Gaines. Gaines says um, to us, "I hear from Nick and John that you boys are very talented. I don't believe them." <laughs> and then he says. I would like to offer you a job, and I propose to pay you as little as possible. <laughs> he really said that. Um, <laughs> I would like to offer you a job, and I pr- I propose to pay you as little as possible. Yeah, you know, I'll tell you something. I think that we we really played good with Bill. Yeah. We didn't say yes. We did not say. Could you believe that we didn't say yes? We said, "Well, we said, well, really appreciate the offer. We'll think about it and let you know." Okay, <laughs> you know, fine. <laughs> I don't remember any big reaction to that, really. But you know, we the thing about it is, we didn't want to work five days a week. I didn't want to work five days a week. I started performing and. I wanted to do other things. I didn't want to just – and I heard that working five days a week really sucked. Like There's no one I know who worked five days a week who enjoyed it. We, we, we come back the next weekend. We say to Gaines, look, there are two of us. Why don't we split the job? I'll, I'll, you know, I'll work Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and Charlie will work Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. You'll have someone here every day. You'll have us both twice a week when the big editorial meetings are, and, and that'll be it. And he said yes. He said yes. I couldn't. I couldn't believe it. It was a three-day work week and a five and a half hour day, ten to five thirty with a ninety-minute lunch break because Gaines was a firm believer that the sixty-minute lunch break was not enough time because you couldn't do anything in right. in, in in sixty minutes. So he he was the big proponent of the ninety-minute lunch break. So I worked. 10 to 5:30 with a 90 minute lunch break 3 days a week that was my that was my cross <laughs> was there offices still on Lafayette Street no this this was probably what I, what I would say was probably the most famous mad office at 485 mm-hmm. Madison Avenue the uh, Lafayette Street uh, that was 225 Lafayette I believe yeah mad had been gone from there a while. I'd have to check when Mad left there. I think it was probably in the 60s, but I'm not 100% sure. And what was William Gaines like? He was, he's sort of a mythical figure. I mean, there's the first initial job interview, but then, you know, there's the day-to-day being around him. He was insane, <laughs> he, I, I would say. He, he, he yeah. was insane. He, he, was, he was totally lovable, totally stubborn, irrational he was as i said to bill many times he's he's the unhe- he's the unhealthiest person i've ever met and the happiest person i had ever met he he lived life completely on his own terms he you couldn't tell him what to do you couldn't win an argument with him no one can win an argument with him. The United States Senate couldn't win an argument with him. Uh, uh, he, although he sold mad to corporate interests in the 60s, I guess, and again, you'd have to check that to get the exact lineage there. Uh, he, he didn't bow to corporate pressure. Corporate overlords didn't tell him what to do. No one told him what to do because no one knew how he did what he did. What he did was utterly extraordinary, and no one had ever seen anything like it. Uh, a A magazine that's reinvented, or you could even say... I don't want to say invented the, uh, the America's satiric voice. That's a bit too too much. But certainly uh, creating a magazine with a revolutionary satiric voice that right. is selling that is selling two and a half million copies at its peak with no advertising, no advertising, and at the same time he's refusing to allow he's refusing to allow 
uh, people to sub- subscribe with the very common bill me later option. You had to pay up front. Mm-hmm. You refused to really merchandise med in, in any conventional way. There, you know, there was not a whole line of med clothing out. For example, there there were not endless med toys and knickknacks and things and thing like that and things like that. He's actually one of his quotes. I, I forget the exact one. It was in the 60 Minutes uh, feature that they did on us in 1986. I think the year was when Gaines says he doesn't want to squeeze every last dr- every last drop out of the lemon. He he was complete. He was completely warped in his way of doing business. And by any conventional standards, he should have failed miserably. Except, except he didn't. And how was the general editorial meeting? Would that run pretty unconventionally compared to other magazines? First, I'll say Gaines never got involved on the editorial. I mean, he would, okay. he would read, he would read an, an, an issue before it went to before it went out there, you know, he would read it, but he didn't meddle in ed- editorial. He didn't in- insert himself. He let the people that he brought in, he trusted us to put the magazine out and make it funny. Um, mm-hmm. and, the, and, the, and the environment, well, the environment, of course, I had been in comedy rooms before with the, with the National Lamp- Lamp- Lampoon guys, and you would think right. that, that, would, that you would think that would be a much... I don't know. You would think that would be a much uh, edgier um, dialogue, say, or a much edgier process. National Lampoon compared to the guys at Med, not true. The, the 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 comedy writers' room at Med was always a completely uncensored place. You, you could not find a less politically correct place. Than the Mad Writers Room in the in the entire world, it was it was vulgar. It was over over the top. We were continually coming up with jokes and and material that we could never put in the magazine. But that process would inevitably lead to sharp material that was great in Mad, and that mm-hmm. process that process really served us well uh, i don't know how likely a process like that um would is in the current age that we live in but boy we we had fun we we constantly had fun we certainly made each other laugh a lot was there anything off limits or any big controversies during your time uh two different questions uh we we never liked victim humor. We really tried to stay away from what we called victim humor. I mean, what fun is it making fun of people who to who have cancer or are sick or who've died in a in a natural disaster of some sort? We we really did our best to not do that. Um right. And I remember once there we 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 did a maybe a Don Martin cartoon. I remember once we did a one pager, and the joke was at the expense of a bulimic, and a bunch of people wrote to us, and you know we felt pretty shitty about it afterwards. You know, why make fun of a bulimic? There's no, there's no reason. We just we'd rather not do it. So you know, we really that was kind of like our one in-house rule. I mean, in terms of language, I mean, I suppose we could have used fucking shit and in med if we really wanted to but you know that was an editorial choice that we we made we didn't we right. we, we 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 chose not to go go there um i mean there was there was nudity in med at times but it was always in 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 context for example if we were uh if mort mort trucker or jack davis were illustrating an r-rated film that had kind of sexy content they we might have a little bit of sexy you know art in mad but we we tried never to be g- gratuitous with with that um and they, listen and there were a bunch of controversies over over the years i mean if you're talking about the years that i was there probably well there were several of them i mean uh the mohammed in a pancake story 
which you know right. I've told I've told that story uh, more than a few a few times on 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 stage. I mean, the one and only time that uh, Muhammad appeared in Mad was in a piece that I wrote uh, called Other Religious Images and Food, currently available on eBay. And that had, we had stuff in that like, um, we had stuff in that like uh, the 12 apostles in a bucket of chicken McNuggets and Ganesh and Baba Ganoush. And we had Muhammad in in, in a pancake. And it was based on the Virgin Mary and the grilled cheese sandwich. And that was published right around the time of the Danish cartoon controversy. And, uh, oh, God, there are articles written about that. Um, you know, MAD was published in a Middle Eastern ed- ed- edition then. And right. we got a call. We got a call. Oh, man, that was no fun. I mean, that was, I mean, that was, I mean, we laughed, but it was, <laughs> we probably shouldn't have been laughing. It's, you know, it's fucked up. You know, you, you, you never thought going into the business of, of making mad that you'd be taking your life in your hands, but I, then again, I remember also we were there during the tr- the whole Charlie Ebdo thing, mm-hmm. and, and and it's like holy shit, you know I, there was extra t- security that Warner Brothers brought in for us, and I remember uh, John um, appeared, John, our our I guess our executive editor for all the years I was there appeared on I think it was CBS Morning News but you could you could uh, research that and he uh, wrote basically a comment and I remember walking into John's office that day and helping him craft that I mean you never expect that shit to to go down and you know we um, we and I know I'm saying a lot here we actually did a, a, a pretty famous piece I believe it was the late 90s but you'd have to check the date we we mm-hmm. did a we did a a, a, a one pager on on pedophile priests that and the, and the joke was that the that the um priest was in the pulpit saying we're going to have a second uh collection today because we have to basically cover our legal expenses for all the lawsuits about pedophile priests well the catholic league you know went berserk on us they they they, they wrote to us they wrote to our publisher bill was gone by by then jeanette Kahn was the publisher they wrote to jeanette and, and the letter they wrote holy shit they accused uh, mad of a pattern of abuse <laughs> that that's the actual phrase they use. Can you imagine that? The Catholic Church, uh, uh, the the Catholic League, accusing Mad of a pattern of abuse. I could actually send you the letter. Fantastic. I mean, that that that, that was we love when stuff like that happens because it meant that we were that we were on the right track. It, it got harder to do over the years because, you know, in the early days, like say Mad was spoofing a movie. Well, the movie company, they didn't want to cooperate with Mad. They didn't want Mad to rip their movie in Mad. They do they didn't want to be made fun of, but then what happened is they got smart. They got savvy and they would want to be they would actually approach us. They'd send us press press kits. And they, you know, they, they basically, they'd say, please, you know, you know, please make fun of our movie. I read that Roger Ebert became a movie critic through reading the movie spoofs in Mad because it showed the cliches and conventions that you know you see again and again in movies. Right. And when I was a kid, I used to read the movie, the movie spoofs, and then think, oh, that sounds pretty interesting, and go out, <laughs> I go out and see the movie. Yeah. So as a kid, what was your very first memory of Mad Magazine? What was the first time you remember picking up an issue? Oh, I re- the first stuff I remember were the song parodies. I used to love Frank Jacobs stuff. And I don't remember what issue it was, but I remember the songs. Off we go into the lunchroom yonder, shoving girls out of the way. Hurry, boys, move on down that counter. Hurry up, fill the tray. Try the beans they prepared last Friday, and the meat is tough as a mule. The bread's got mold, the soup is cold, yuck, anything beats the lunchroom at our school. 
I remember that. <laughs> During that era, was that when Mad had that copyright case that they won? It was before then. The copyright case involved a Frank Jacobs book that was called Sing Along with Mad, which came out right. late, which came out, I don't know the exact years of that. You'd have to check out the exact years. Uh, Sing Along mm -hmm. with Mad, yeah, that was Irving Berlin and a bunch of people sued Mad over that because uh, they didn't like their songs being made fun of, essentially. The details, do you know much about that case? Just from researching earlier today, uh, that copyright case made way so we could have our Weird Al Yankovic. Uh, yeah, I mean, an amazing case. I, I, you know, it's funny because I was talking about that recently in mm -hmm. uh, my show. What happened was, and you, I don't know if you want to want to, how much this really interests you, but this stuff really fascinated me. A court ruled that, that like 23 of the 25 songs were satires by the judge's view, but two of the songs, both written by Irving Berlin, the judge ruled against Mad. He said that the titles and the, and the lyrics of the song were too similar to the real song. So, <laughs> so Gaines actually accepted that gains hard to believe because this was not in bill's character bill yeah. was ha was happy with the decision but irving berlin appealed it berlin appealed the decision berlin did not like that most of the songs it was not happy that only 23 of the 25 the, the fact that only two of those songs were considered not satire didn't didn't please him so he appealed the whole thing, and and the yeah. case was and the case was heard by this judge who had put the Rosenbergs to death. <laughs> Irving, <laughs> 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 the, the, I, this is true. Irving R. Kaufman was the judge yeah. who heard Irving Berlin's appeal, and that's what he was most famous for, electrocuting the Rosenbergs. And he made the famous ruling in Mad's favor across the board, and his, fam his famous line was that Irving Berlin does not own iambic pentameter. And, mm. and, and Berlin appealed the case again. <laughs> In the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court refused to hear the appeal, and that is why Weird Al Yankovic has a career. <laughs> Just as a footnote, when Eric Idle made The Ruttles, which was a Beatles parody, he cleared all the songs except one because it sounded too much like a Beatles song. So Matt, in a way, opened the door for The Ruttles. Right. Of course, the Ruttles were a little different because they were writing original music too. They they were writing they were writing lyrics and kind of uh, satiric music. Of course, with the bad stuff, it was just lyrics, and then it was always say maybe tune. Um, they say we say maybe maybe sung to the tune of maybe sung to the tune of. You don't have to sing it to that tune, but it may be sung to that tune. So that was the stuff that I loved. I mean, that was the first mad stuff that I remember. I'm trying to use the Here's the thing. Comedy writers don't, don't like hearing this, but I don't, I don't care. Comedy writers, who are almost all liberal and couldn't be more liberal than Rowan and Martin's laughing in the 60s, they helped Nixon get elected. And, yeah. and, and, and Saturday Night Live helped Trump get elected. You know, and 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 what's very fucked up here, and uh, you know, one of the one of my writing projects is an open letter to Lorne Michaels. Uh, you know, Saturday Night Live has got to stop doing this. They have to stop having politicians on their shows. I don't want to see Sarah Sarah Palin on your on on a sketch comedy show. I want Sarah Palin to hate your show so much that the last thing she ever wants to do is set foot in the studio. I want Sarah Palin yeah. and and Al Gore. I don't care what what party they're in. I I don't want Bernie Sanders on 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 the show. 
Keep Bernie Sanders off the show. This is a separation between church and state. Your fucking comedy writers stop sucking up to politicians. Don't do it. So mad, not only did they mock Republicans in the early days, but they also sort of mocked hippies. Not the politics of hippies, but just sort of the lifestyle of hippies. So almost no one was off limits to mad. Yeah, you know, you know, mad in that sense in the sixties. Uh, it's very in- interesting. It was, the voice of mad in the in the sixties was a little bit square in some way. Mm-hmm. In some way, oh, yeah. It, yeah. It, it was it was square and unique at the same time. For example, mad was completely against the war. Mad was outspoken. The the clear politics of mad, anti Nixon anti-Vietnam War, and that was perfectly in line with the counterculture, right? But MAD was also, MAD was also anti-drug, and that was, that was not consistent with the counterculture at all. The, the uh, MAD editors w- couldn't tell you much about Cream or Crosby, Stills, and Nash, or the strawberry alarm clock. They were Tin Pan Alley guys. They were older guys. It's that kind of laid the ground for Lampoon to rise because Lampoon yeah. had a voice that that Mad didn't have. It was inspired by Mad to some to, in some meaningful way, but it was a unique voice. Um, and Lampoon was great. You know, Lampoon in a way. When it emerged, in a way, it instantly made made Mad Square for that time. Mm-hmm. Mad was Mad was still wildly uh, popular and 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 successful. It was around then that I think that the uh, the, the the biggest selling issue of Mad came out. I think it was seventy three, seventy four ish. Right, right. When Lampoon was really had 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 taken over probably as at least in terms of college kids were reading Lamp- right. Lampoon then. They weren't reading Mad. Of course the thing about Lamp Lamp Lampoon is, particularly if you look at Lampoon through the prism of, of Mad, it, it was short lived. It's it's mm-hmm. it's it didn't last long. I mean how long was Lampoon great? Five years? Six years? You want to be generous? Say ten? It wasn't. Yeah. You know, and 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 Mad Mad's gone through. I'd say over over sixty seven years, it's gone through yeah. a number a number of periods that I would call great. I mean, obviously, not everyone's great. They can't be. Just like not every sketch on Saturday Night Live is great. I mean, look, you're in humor. You're in, uh, in in humor. What's a good batting average in humor? I, I don't even know, but we all know that X amount of jokes fail. It's just the way it is. Within that, who do you think was the funniest person in real life? In real life, not not on not yeah. on the page. The funniest yeah. person in real life, man. There there are a couple of of guys who are really funny in real life. Uh, two names that come to mind. I might have think about this more. But I think the two funniest in real life. One would be Desmond Devlin. Desmond, just a very funny. What he said was funny. What he says is funny. How he says it is funny. How he looks is funny. Des, just a very funny, quick. Uh, other one comes to mind is Don Ed- Edwin, and Fakara or. Duck Edwin, as he was known, uh, he would call in during editorial meetings. Hey, just caught on a phone like this, and he he would tell some completely off-color joke. He, he you know, I don't remember any of them. John probably would know them all. He he'd start out, you know, so uh, a rabbi and a moose walk into a bar, <laughs> and, and, and he and and he would just, you know, we we would get that from Duck. Rarely a day went by when he didn't call in with a joke. And and they were often very bad, but but they were sometimes yeah. good. And we even enjoyed the bad ones because we, because his delivery was. What about the classic guys? Would they come into the office like your Al Jaffe's and your Don Martins? Al, who is based in New, in New York, frequently mm-hmm. came came to the office. Al uh, 
Al, as recently as 2017, was hand delivering his fold-ins. He'd get in a wow. t- he'd get in a taxi, take the elevator up to the office, and would yeah. it would bring 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 in the fold-ins, and there would there'd be an unveiling of the fold-in, and Al would shoot the shit with us and. We always love when Al came by because Al embodies like the history of comic books, um, yeah. and, and his life story is such an amazing one. Um, so Al would come in frequently, and that was always Al was Al. Al was the kind of guy who would get a, applause just for walking into a room. <laughs> we were just always happy. <laughs> we, we, we were always happy to see him. Now, yeah. Martin, I only met Don a few times. Don left Mad. Mm-hmm. Not long after I joined the staff, he had a falling out with Gaines over rights, and he actually mm-hmm. jumped. He actually jumped ship for a number of years. Was uh, his work appeared in in Cracked? Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure what year that was. Maybe in '87 or '88. Again, you'd have to you'd have to look look that up. And uh, Sergio, uh, based in Ojai, so he he was not frequent in the office. Although you know, this is what the Mad Trips were about. the The whole idea of the yeah. Mad Trips was to bring people together. That's probably when I met Sergio. I probably met him on a, on, a, on a Mad Trip, and this is another of Gaines's. You know, this insane idea. I mean, just totally yeah. insane idea that Gaines, who is known as the cheapest son of a bitch in publishing. Mad is called cheap. The magazine is cheap, 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 cheap everywhere. Gaines is cheap. He's so cheap that he 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 makes you pay for a seventeen cent phone call you made to your chiropractor in Scarsdale. He's cheap, and yet here's this guy who's known for nothing but his cheapness, who springs for this trip. Is it started out as an annual trip and then became every other year. He'd bring the Mad staff together. He'd bring the freelancers together. Not the staff, oh, the wow. freelance, the freelancers yeah. and staff. So Al, so Al Jaffe, who lives in 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 New York, and and Sergio Aragones, who lives in California, and uh, Antonio Projias, wherever he lived. I mean, Antonio, I, I never, I never met, I never met him. He'd bring all these guys together and the staff, and he'd take them away. He'd take them to Europe. He took us to Europe. He'd, t- he'd take them on a cruise. He take him to some exotic place where, where free, <laughs> free. Yeah. Oh wow! He pay for, yeah. he pay for there. Pay and and you know what 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 was that? It was a bonding experience to this group of talent yeah, that otherwise would never see each other, and and this mm-hmm. just and this added to the mad lore and of course was so was so gains. It was it it it, it solidified gains. As the absolutely iconoclastic, crazy publisher. Who else would do that? No one. I was reading today that Gaines's father was responsible for Wonder Woman because he comes from a comic book family. Well, Gaines's father, who I'm not an expert on, that was Max Gaines, mm-hmm. and yeah. and Max and Max Gaines is credited with essentially inventing the comic book. The yeah. the legend has it that he was cleaning out his attic where he had gathered a bunch of Sunday funnies that he was going to throw away. And uh-huh. in that moment, he had the this aha moment, which was, "Hey, I can make a book of these things." And yeah. and that's how and that's how the comic book was born. Now, I'm not sure. His involvement in Wonder Woman, uh, I'm not saying that he was not involved. I know Wonder Woman was created by William uh, something or other, Marston or whatever. He was a therapist, psychologist, created Wonder Woman. I think he got it pitched to him, so he was responsible for getting it published. That doesn't surprise me because because Wonder Woman was considered uh, in the early days wholesome. And Max Gaines was was publishing picture stories from the Bible and picture stories from science. So he would have been attracted to a kind of wholesome thing. Another crazy fact, Don Martin did an album cover for Miles Davis. I think it was a 1953 Miles Davis album. And he did it in the style of 
Don Martin. Really interesting. Now I yeah. I I I didn't know I didn't know that myself. And another thing I learned today, I forgot the name of the artist who did Spy versus Spy. Prohias. He escaped from Cuba because he was doing satirical cartoons about Fidel. He was pissing off Castro. Yeah. He was he he, he was he was pissing off Castro. Made his way to Florida. Made his way to the Mad Office. Pitched Spy versus Spy. <laughs> Uh, which was never about race. Spy vs. Spy was always mm-hmm. about the the futility and insanity of war. And, you know, Prohias' story is a great story. And, of course, if Prohias had come to Florida these days, he just would be deported before he ever got to New York. But it puts Spy versus Spy in perspective, just knowing before that he was doing satirical cartoons about Fidel. And what's your takeaway from working 33 years? Is that the correct number, 33 years? How has that changed you? Well, as I said many times, I think MAD is the only place in America where if you work there and you matured, you got fired. Um, I I was never fired. In fact, I was promoted. Um, And when you work at a – when you work – uh, at a place like Mad for that length of time, and you, right. you and and you remain kind. Of, I remain kind of rooted in my adult and my adolescence in some ways. I'll never grow right. out of it. I'm I'm I will forever be. I can't stop thumbing my nose. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like I, it's like it's like I wake up in the morning and I put my thumb to my nose and start twiddling my fingers at you know at the at the ceiling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's 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 uh reflexive at this point. And and you know, I'll I'll also say this that mad essentially at its heart, it's it's not a brand. I understand that everything's a brand now. And it mad right. had to be a brand and so but it's not a brand. It's it's um it's a mindset. It's a it's a it's a it's a lens through which one sees the world. You know, I had the good fortune to inherit the uh, tradition, the voice, and and help make it my own. And that's what we all did. That that's what everyone on on that's what all the mad editors did. We 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 were fortunate enough to have the opportunity to receive this. Well, call it what it is. It just is this great satiric. And uniquely American voice that that emerged out of the McCarthy era. It's really you know think about the, you know how bleak things were in the fifties, and Mad somehow yeah. was born was born then. So it's been it's been a it's been a fucking marvelous ride. It, it really has. Excuse me. You think during this era with Trump, much like, say, the Vietnam War, that this would be a fine time for MAD? Or because Trump is just so fucked up, he self-satirizes himself? No, no, I'm going to say there are two separate things here. This is is a, a great time for MAD, should be a great time for MAD, or any sharp comedy. We had... I don't think Mad in the in the 33 years I was at Mad, Mad was never more political, and never more politically sharp than in the 2016 right. campaign, and in the first year of the Trump presidency, which is the year you know I I I like to point out that Rolling Stone called us the best political satire magazine in the country. This is a great time for Mad humor. Unfortunately, it's not a great time for printed humor. Mm-hmm. And and that really is listen that that probably is the thing that would have taken Mad down as a magazine. I mean, how long will they? How much further? I'll get the words out there. How, what is the future of magazines at all? You know, Mad yeah, disappearing. Yeah. Mad's disappearing from newsstands. Right. Well, newsstands are disappearing. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's not a. It's not that. That's the uphill battle that Mad faced all the years I was there, the the decline of 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 print. But in terms of Mad humor, I'm yeah. I'm really proud that we were so steadfastly and sharply 
against Trump. And my biggest disappointment in my in my 33 years at MAD, and it's not just my biggest disappointment, maybe it's the biggest disappointment in the comedy world as well, was that we weren't able to defeat Trump. We certainly tried. Listen, MAD, MAD is, has has remained in the, uh, let's say, the cultural zeitgeist, the cultural zeitgeist in some meaningful way, (laughs) certainly for all the years that I was was there. But, but, but the decline of print, really, it it, it spares no title. Yeah. You know, you know, so that, and, and the other thing I'll say is Mads, Demographics were always weird, you know, because we had always had legions of young readers, a lot of, you know, mm-hmm. you know, teens reading Mad and younger than teens, preteens as well. But then Mad, you would tend to lose readers around college age, but then they'd come back in their 30s when they had kids yeah. themselves. So Mad had a, like a third of our readers were over 30. And two thirds were were under twenty. It's a weird demographic in the in the modern magazine world where everything is niche, as we used to joke. Teen Rabbi, Teen Rabbi is a magazine for a very specific audience, and Mad didn't have that kind of audience. It had a very. It was I guess Mad was one of the last, if not the last, general audience m- magazines. It appealed to a wide age group. Um, and most of our readers were male, certainly. For 65 years, Mad had what I will call a comedy lineage. Kurtzman passed it on to Feldstein. Feldstein had Meglin. Meglin brought in Fakara. Fakara brought in me and Charlie. We brought in Dave Carrado and Ryan Flanders. It was a young. It was passed on. It was a. It was a voice. You may think you know the voice, and you do in some way, but you really don't know it as a writer. You don't. You have to learn it in the trenches of Mad itself. That's where you absorb the voice and learn the Mad the Mad voice. And after sixty five years of that, when Mad moved to California, that was broken. Th- that was broken. So when when DC moved Mad to California with an all new team, with no disrespect for the new team at all, right? No one on that team had ever written for Mad before. Not a single mm-hmm. person on that team had ever sold the Mad article. Of course, they they, they could not know the Mad voice. It would be impossible. Right. For them to know it, so, and I'm not saying Mad would not have gone out of business now, or, or would have been pulled from newsstands now, had they hired some of our junior team or not gone to. I, I don't want to cast blame that way, but but I am stating the obvious. They yeah. didn't. That new group, that new team, couldn't have the couldn't have the, the the voice that had been honed for 65 years because they weren't part of that comic tradition so here's a new editorial team doesn't hasn't come up through the mad ranks so to speak and is in burbank and and mad is mad is now completely out of its element it's not in new york where it lived and thrived it's not with the team that's honed the voice and been there for years and after 14 months they announced that they're pulling the plug on it well of course (laughs) <laughs> of course, yeah. you, you, you know, and and add to that the corporate pressures and all that, and then the, and the decline right. of print. And look, I, I feel bad for the old team. I mean, there were very talented people on 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 that team, but I feel much worse for the junior team that was here in New York. You know, the people who've been working yeah. at Med just fifteen or twenty years, who really should have been given the opportunity to take Mad over, and they weren't. And that's unfortunate. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, that's that's just a very unfortunate thing. And um, you know, you you can't take every person on the editorial staff who's responsible for the voice of this American satiric treasure and replace them and expect it to succeed. I just don't think that's a realistic thing, and that and that is yeah. p- 
part that is part of what happened here. Yeah, I mean, National Lampoon did the same thing. I think they thought yeah. if they just keep the name only, that was strong enough to keep it going. Yeah, Saturday Night Live did the same thing in, 19, in 1981, right? A season that, that everybody hated. I mean, and this team had some success. Uh, again, I'm, I don't mean to disparage this team at all. They were in an impossible yeah. situation. They were in a completely impossible situation. And, um, yeah, yeah, so it's it's... There is that. It's 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 sad to think that Mad won't be on newsstands any, anymore. But but on the other hand, if all those people now who are lamenting the the, the end of Mad were buying were buying it, <laughs> <laughs> then then Mad we wouldn't be having this conversation. Yeah, obviously, Mad lives on through how it influenced the Onion and Judge Apatow. The Daily Show, you know, Weird Al Yankovic, who we talked about earlier. Yes, Howard Stern and John Stewart and Stephen yeah. Colbert and and all these yeah. guys, you know. And the Med Voice is in some way in them. And guess what? They've influenced mm-hmm. others. The Med Voice is such a part of our culture. The magazine may die, but the Med Voice certainly will not. And that wraps up our episode on the history of Mad Magazine with Joe Riola, who was the editor of MAD for 33 years. So once again, take some time to like, subscribe, and leave a dumb comment about Comedy History 101, and we will read it here on the podcast. For example, here is a comment from James on the episode on the history of the Andrew Dice Clay controversy. Sorry, but The Adventures of Ford Fairlane was a funny movie. People couldn't separate a character from the person performing the character then, and it's only gotten worse today. Where you can't even have an intentionally problematic character in a film or a series without people coming out of the woodwork and from under every rock trying to paint the work as being racist, sexist, or homophobic and everything else simply because the character is there, and heaven forbid, you try to make them a well-rounded character where that trait doesn't define them. James, thank you for your comment on the history of the Andrew Dice Clay controversy. And if you want to leave a comment, you could check us out on ComedyHistory101.com or on Twitter, at ComHis101. I am Harmon Leon. You can find me at Harmon Leon on the social medias. And until next time, bye-bye. You're stupid. Everybody's so stupid. I'm trying to use the phone. Excuse me. Comedy History 101.